the single easiest way to change the world is to start a company. Um, for because when you start a company, you have the ability to set culture, and you automatically will have people that work for that company where uh, what they are immersed in every day and the way that their lives are impacted every day is is really impacted by the way that you lead, and. Uh, you have the opportunity to serve a lot of customers and impact their life as well. So loved impacting people's lives in ministry. I uh, feel like I'm. You're listening to the FYI podcast where we talk about all things young adulting, your faith, your life, your mental health, your finances, your relationships, so much more. And I'm Josiah Keneally. And I'm Micah Keneally. We are the hosts of the FYI podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Venture. Venture is a church planting and community development nonprofit that really works with the toughest places of the world, serving war refugees, trafficked people, mm-hmm. oppressed children, and the unreached. And through Venture Miles, you can make your miles matter by going on adventure hikes. You can go biking, running, raising funds, and also bringing forth awareness in the process. Look, Venture is something that we are both incredibly passionate about. We give to and support. And mm-hmm. man, we're both Venture alumni of different programs and runs. And we'd encourage you to check out more at www.youngadults.today/partners. Imagine if you could go and talk to some of the greatest leaders all around the world and ask them one simple question. What is your daily prayer life like? Well, myself and Cam Doolittle and Peter Greer were able to do this with amazing leaders like Francis Chan and John Mark Comer, John Ortberg, Johnny Erickson Tata. And then we expanded our search to global church leaders in six different continents whose ministry and leadership covers over a hundred different countries. And what we discovered was absolutely incredible. People around the world were being led by the Holy Spirit to have similar prayer lives, from a New York financier to someone working in a refugee camp in a war zone. Their prayer lives started looking similar and their patterns were emerging. And we took all those patterns and put them together in a book called Lead with Prayer, a study in the prayer lives of extraordinary leaders around the world. There's a study that said that a supermajority of leaders are not satisfied with their prayer lives and the prayer culture where they lead. And this book, we're praying, can launch a movement of prayer amongst leaders. And this is a chance for all of us to sit at the feet of praying leaders around the world and learn how to pray as leaders. Imagine what would happen if God's leaders around the world started truly becoming people of prayer. It could change everything. We're thrilled to dive into this conversation. We're going to talk about Gen Z, about the faith of the next generation and entrepreneurship. One of the things that all the data and research is pointing to is that so many young leaders right now uh, want to be entrepreneurs. They want to start and they want to work for themselves. They want to make an impact in this world and they want to add value. And Mike, our guest, is the co-founder and CEO of Simple Modern. If you open your cabinet or your dorm, there's a good chance, um, man, even walking through the aisles of Target that you're going to see Simple Modern. And uh, this is a global producer of premium drinkware, lifestyle products, founded in 2015, based in Oklahoma. And Simple Modern just is doing some incredible work um, donating and and 
just um, generosity is really one of their core values um, to nonprofit mm -hmm. organizations. And you'll see it at Target, Walmart, Amazon, Sam's Club. Catch this. As of the website bio, this company is serving more than 20 million customers worldwide. And Mike's passionate about leadership and entrepreneurship. He serves as the senior entrepreneur in residence at the University of Oklahoma. And um, man, we want to kick it to you. Would you just be willing to share some of your journey of life and family and leadership with us today? Sure. Well, I'll tell you a little bit of the backstory. I graduated from college in 2003, and actually to go back even a little bit further, um, I grew up Bible Belt, grew up in Oklahoma, went to church, uh, was not a follower of Jesus uh, when I went to college. And I went to college really looking to find meaning and purpose through achievement and accomplishment. I really felt like that's what was going to make, uh, give myself identity. And uh, ironically, I was very successful in accomplishing the things that I wanted to accomplish and having the GPA that I wanted to have. And yet I felt uh, very empty. And it was at that point, this is probably about two years into college that I, I first started to think about spiritual things and really consider it um, fresh, in a fresh way as an adult. So uh, grabbed a Bible, didn't tell anybody I was doing it, started to read the Bible. I was smart enough to start reading in the New Testament, which I'd never done before, because um, I'd always like grabbed a Bible and read the first few pages of Genesis and been like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know how this is relevant to my life. And uh, it, it led to a several month period of me really considering the words of Jesus and uh, eventually making a decision to trust Christ. Nobody like uh, shared the gospel with me. It was a very like self-guided on my own process um, that, like I said, nobody really knew I was going through. Um, and so I was in college for five years, two and a half years in is when I became uh, a believer in, in Christ. And as a result, had a dramatic life change, uh, overnight kind of uh, life change. So uh, graduated in 2003, and I had thought I was going to go and work in the finance world. Uh, I got married to my wife, Heather, a week after I graduated. She had one more year left in her uh, master's degree. And so I needed to stick around Norman. I knew that. And I was looking for an opportunity where I could, I, I could spend a year close. And I got an opportunity to, to intern with an organization called Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ is what it used to be called. And so I thought, I'll do one year of ministry and then I'll go work in the finance world and this will be great. And, and really what happened is one year of working with college students and being on a college campus, talking to people about the Bible and about Jesus changed my life. And it turned into two, which turned into 10. So I spent the whole first half of my career, I've been out of college for 20 years uh, this year. And I spent the first half of that in full-time vocational ministry uh, with college students. Then helped my brother start a company while I was still in the ministry world that got very big, very fast. And uh, I was really kind of working two full-time jobs by the time I turned uh, around 30. And then we got pregnant with our first kid. And I just realized I can't do all of this. Certainly can't do all of this at the level that I'd want to. Um, God, what do you want to do with my life? And through talking to a lot of people, praying, uh, thinking about it, uh, discussing with my wife, we came to the conclusion that, that we thought it would be possible to make more of an impact by going into the business world. So the last 10 years of my career have been basically running uh, really all of them fast growth um, consumer companies uh, with kind of a, an e-commerce piece 
to that. And I, I think you said this at the beginning, Josiah, but I, I would really emphasize this point. I'm a believer that the single easiest way to change the world is to start a company um, for because when you start a company, you have the ability to set culture and you automatically will have people that work for that company where uh, what they are immersed in every day and the way that their lives are impacted every day is is really impacted by the way that you lead. And uh, you have the opportunity to serve a lot of customers and impact their life as well. So loved impacting people's lives in ministry. I uh, feel like I'm able to make even more uh, impact, uh, impacting people's lives in in the business world. And I'm a big believer in the ability for entrepreneurship and, and creating businesses to, to impact the world. And I think the other thing worth mentioning here, and then I can get into whatever specifics you'd like to talk about today, is that we are in a generation of students and young adults that truly want to make an impact on the world and want to be able to connect the time that they spend in their career to making a tangible, redemptive impact on the world. And I think one of the things that I like to emphasize with my story is that I've tried to be really deliberate about that with uh, my time in the in the business world, and especially my time with, with Simple Modern. And I love talking about that with uh, the next generation because there is an idealism in that that sometimes is unhelpful. But then there's also this huge core of goodness that I think needs to be encouraged and cultivated. Uh, and, and we need to fan that flame because uh, more than any other generation I've ever seen, I think this generation has an opportunity to make uh, a massive impact on the world and the way that people think uh, by using their efforts, using their careers towards things that really matter. Mike, I absolutely love that you shared so those elements of your story and just how Craig Rochelle said this just last night, he tweeted or like posted, he's like, you don't have to be in full-time ministry to be in full-time ministry. And I think yeah. with that, we can all live on mission in our own way, whether it's in the marketplace, if it's in ministry, whether it's in the classroom, whatever that is and looks like. And we work with a lot of young adults and a lot of young leaders. And we were talking to one of our pastors, who's actually a friend. Um, he was in North Dakota at this time doing uh, Chi Alpha. And he was talking about how he was working with a lot of students. And we would agree with this, that the 18 or 30 year old, like there's a lot of image management going on. Like they're managing their image. Like I take 20 photos and take the best one and still tweak it how I think I should look or how I think mm -hmm. my appearance should be, you know, my wishes and stuff. But when it comes to the entrepreneurial side of things, starting and strengthening a business that maybe we've started and it came from a dream, a passion, a burden, a desire to see change around us. Can you just even correlate or tell us what's the difference between image management, like personally managing our image versus like personal brand that gets developed as a business potentially grows? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, to, to answer it, I'll start by talking a little bit about our giving that we do as a company and how we talk about that. When we started the company, we we didn't know much, actually. We didn't even know what product we wanted to do, but we knew we wanted there to be a giving component. We wanted generosity to be a big part of it. And we made a decision very early on, even though we were bootstrapped, we were going to give 10% of profits away, which when you're growing a consumer products company without getting into the weeds of the finances, it's very painful. You really need all of your profits to be able to buy more inventory to fuel future growth. But we made a commitment to that early on because we felt like doing it early, doing it when it was hard would establish the, the right foundation. So we we began to, to give 10% annually and 
then we had a, a separate kind of question come up of how much should we talk about what we're doing? Because on one hand, we felt like we can be a great example of a way of doing business differently. And that part of the impact we can make is, is the example we set. But also, you know, the Bible talks about not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. And, and also you don't want to come across uh, I think we've seen this in in the corporate world and just in generally, we become a little bit jaded and a little bit skeptical because we've seen, um, you know, quote unquote generosity that was probably more for image management reasons than it was uh, falling out of a heart of generosity. So we really wrestled with what do you do? How much do you talk about it? Um, you know, how do you manage the brand of the company um, while while not losing sight of authenticity? And what we really came to was we are going to talk about it publicly, um, but we're going to try and talk about it publicly in a particular way. And and one of those is that we don't do this perfectly and we don't claim to do this perfectly. We don't think this is necessarily the right or the best way to do um, a for-profit company, but this is the way that we're doing it. And, and the word I would come back to is sincerity or authenticity, that when I have spoken publicly about it, the feedback that I've gotten has been, it really feels sincere and authentic that this matters to you and that that's why you're engaged in it. And, and I really emphasize that when I talk internally or externally about our mission and about our giving is we are, we are an imperfect company because people are imperfect and, and, you know, any, any company of people is going to, going to be imperfect. But it is sincere. Like we really do believe these things, and these things really are important to us. And we really do try to consider these principles in in everything we do, not just the way that we give money, but the way that we we run the company, the way that we treat our customers. So in the same way, I think this is a generation where the word is going to be authenticity. Especially, you know, our technology continues to get better and better and better, and it can produce a facsimile or a, a replication or, um, you know, uh, whether it's audio or video that that doesn't even exist. You know, some of like the AI stuff with images, for example, like your ability to generate an image that never happened, but man, it looks authentic. And so I think we're going to increasingly be living in a world where we are starving for authenticity. Mm-hmm. And what, what I think... I would tell anyone listening to this is that authenticity is at the very core of the gospel, that the gospel is that, well, I'll back up. The way that we tend to want to think about our lives is appearing good and appearing well to other people. And the entire message of the Bible, uh, and this really gets ramped up in the New Testament, the entire message of the Bible is that God doesn't actually look at that, that he doesn't look at appearance. He doesn't look at the outward. You know, when, when God chooses David, it said, you know, that man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, you know, and, and they're trying to point towards this fact that the way that we evaluate people and the way that God evaluates things are very different. And then when you get into the ministry of Jesus, he's constantly pointing at 
hey, it doesn't even matter necessarily how you're perceived. It doesn't necessarily even sometimes matter what you do. What matters is why. Mm-hmm. That that God goes all the way to the headwaters and says, why are you doing what you're doing? What is motivating you? What is the reality that that is hidden beneath the surface? And that that's what, what really matters. And I think this is a generation where that message is going to resonate deeply because there is so much super, superficiality. There's so much pretending and, and listen, we're all susceptible to it, right? Like we're all susceptible to playing the game and our family, my wife and I, we came up with family values. We have have five of them, but the number one family value is authenticity. And that is, um, you know, that we value, we value the truth over good external experience appearance and trying to teach that to our children and trying to live that out ourselves. And again, you know, like I'm not going to claim that I have authenticity nailed because I'd be lying, but I at least am thinking about it and caring about it. And when I catch myself playing the game of trying to look a certain way for other people, trying to present myself in a way that'll be acceptable or that'll be clapped for and instead of being authentic, that's, you know, I think that's one of the ways that God's working in my life is to, you know, when I do see myself doing that, to turn back towards, no, you know what? I would rather lead with who I am and where my heart is really at than what I think will make people happy or will lighten, or lighten me more or clap for me or whatever else. So uh, that would be, I think, the single biggest piece of advice. And, and I'll go a step further. We can talk some more about this if you'd like to, but we live in a postmodern culture and postmodernism has its own kind of very unique and distinct set of morality. But in a postmodern culture, the one thing that has held up as a cardinal virtue is first person experience and authenticity. And for all the the, the way that postmodernism kind of despises standards and and the idea of truth and some other things because it really holds up the importance of authenticity and first person perspective for us as believers in Jesus once we see that there's a huge opportunity for how we can share the gospel and there's actually plenty of opportunities but the most effective gospel presentations in this generation are all going to be first person through ourselves with authenticity because that's what the people around us desperately want and need. Yes. You're on the money with that, mm-hmm. Mike. And I think that real time in 2023, this is one of the things that I'm learning. What does it mean as a leader to be authentic and to be sincere and to be transparent and vulnerable in a way that I'm not the hero of every story, let alone any story. And I mm-hmm. used to kind of believe or think Because what I've been exposed to is that you need to present your successes or that people would relate to that. But it's, it's any time that I've shared the struggle being real or sharing challenges that I'm up against or shortcomings that I have, that's what connects with people. Mm -hmm. It's not the success highlight reels. It's the behind the scenes. It's the real time struggles. It's the scars. It's the brokenness. And um, God is glorified through that when he is the mm-hmm. hero of our story. Right. So I just think that you're dead on. And yet it's it's a challenge to um, 
not just portray the the Instagrammable, cropped, edited, beautiful version of ourself, if you know what I'm right. saying. Right. Let's yeah. See. Well, so on that on that note, if you think about what makes our faith attractive to the outside world, what they need to see in order to be drawn to Christ, I think, is they need to see the contrast between the way that we think and the way that that you know we people naturally think or, or culture society naturally thinks and that the church has always been the most effective in communicating its message when that contrast has been the greatest and one of the ways that we're able to show that contrast and one of the ways that we're able to help people understand how differently we think is by doing exactly what you said and that's walking people through our internal dialogue and how it's different so okay to take a step back i used to when i would teach evangelism i would i would make this point a lot when you are a christian the way that other people will want to categorize you is they'll want to say Josiah is a Christian, but he's just different than I am. That's fine. That's fine. He's a Christian. That's nice for him, but he's just kind of a different guy. He's a nicer guy or he's motivated by different things than me because it's a really easy defense mechanism to say, I can dismiss it, you know, just kind of out of hand because we're just, we're just wired different. But the reality is when we're communicating our story. And when we're communicating the gospel, what we want to communicate is the exact opposite. I am not any different, mm -hmm. right? Like whatever, you know, whatever simple dark thoughts you've had, I've had those, whatever you've struggled with, you know, maybe not the specifics, but yeah, I have been there and that I am no different than you except that I have had my perspective shifted and changed by Jesus. And that is the message that really resonates with people. And it makes them have to stop and take a second look because they can't just dismiss us out of hands. Oh, you know, he's just a different type of person than I am. It's like, no, I'm the exact same type of person of you. And when we are able to deconstruct the inner dialogue of, yeah, I was in this situation. And my first thought was I wanted to say this. And the reason I wanted to say it is I thought, you know, that'll make people like me. And then in real time, I was, I was kind of wrestling with God because God was showing me that what you're trying to do is turn the spotlight on yourself and make yourself the hero of this situation. When what I want you to do is love other people. And so I said this different thing instead, you know, but I, I can tell you, like I was thinking my first thought was about myself and about making it about me. And so when we talk about our inner struggle and inner dialogue that way, it makes it real and it makes it accessible to people while still glorifying Christ and not compromising on the message of the gospel at all. Yeah, that's so good. I love it. And I think when we, when people can see like the image management versus the personal brand, when our personal brand is tethered to Jesus, Jesus and the mm -hmm. characteristics of him are the, uh, the, the overflow of what people are seeing. They see the love, jo the joy, the peace, the patience. They see things we choose to participate in or not participate in how we use our words, our body language. Like people are reading in between any and all lines of our life when our brand, whether it's our ministry, whether it's our leadership, whether it's our product, whatever that is, and they fill in the blanks. And if we could always, you know, point them back to Christ in that process with those one-on-ones to say, Hey, <laughs> I'm no different than you. And there's equal, we're equal at the foot of the cross. And 
I can say that this is what Jesus has done for me. Mm-hmm. When we, when we make Jesus the hero and God, the hero in any area of our life, you know, and we are able to share some of the things that we've already walked through. I think that is a form of authenticity that people really lean into versus kind of lean back and say, good sure. for you, you know? Sure. So Mike, when it comes to just the next generation, um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you see that he has many pictures in the background of his little backdrop and friends and family and everything. Um, when it comes to the next generation, the 18 to 30 year old, why do you believe that reaching the next gen and the, the importance of young adult ministry, why is it so vital in our day and age? Well, I think just to start realizing that part of life in general, and especially life as a believer is that we are part of a much bigger relay race. One of the more kind of interesting concepts to me is that um, I can't do this, but I could trace out the spiritual influences in my life. If I knew everything, I could probably say, okay, well, here are the people that were spiritual influences in my life. And here are the people that influence them. And here are the people that influence them. And you go far enough back and you're going to end up in a, at a disciple right? Or somebody, you know, like, and that's kind of a crazy thought that basically the three of us in the middle of America, for sure, like there are people in the Bible that were directly influential in our life through some chain that we don't know. And that the same is also true in the future, that when we invest our lives, I mean, just think about this way. Most of what we do in our life will not be remembered and it won't really matter. But investing in the lives of other people is one of the few things we can do that really does have eternal ramifications because the souls of men and women are one of the few things that are eternal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and so the opportunity to make my life count by investing it and pouring it into other people is incredibly attractive just from like a, Hey, I don't feel like I'm just spinning my wheels and wasting my time, but there's also this piece of, and Paul talks about this in Romans. Jesus is the model and he's the person that we want to follow after and everything. And Jesus comes and he lays down his life for that first generation of believers and for all the believers that are to come. And that it is, this is our, you know, it says this is our spiritual act of worship, but you could also say like, this is the natural reaction. This is the, you know, the obvious conclusion that we would have is that in the exact same way we would lay down our lives for others. You know, that um, I love being engaged in reaching and mentoring and discipling and pouring into the next generation because uh, of the things that they'll do. And because it it makes the the hours that I have, I, the investment of those are, are more meaningful, more fruitful, but, but mostly it's just because this is what Jesus was about. And the way that I show that I appreciate and that I've internalized what Jesus did for me is by doing it for other people. And, and it's just the natural like overflow of that is of course, I want to invest in the lives of other people um, the, the way that God has invested in my life, both directly and through and through spiritual influences in my life. So I'm very passionate about it. And uh, you know, I started to really disciple people, I would say about 20 years ago and one of the most exciting things is that um, these these people that I have, especially men that I've dis- discipled, I've seen many of them go on to have families. I've seen many of them go on to be leaders in their churches, either lay people or or in the ministry. 
and for them to have disciples and those people to have disciples. And there are there are lots of people that in some way I've been able to be a part of influencing their life that will never know me and I'll never know them on this side of death. Um, and that's really exciting and really motivating. But so I, I think, I, I just think about it as faithfulness that like mm-hmm. part of what, you know, in God's economy, the one thing that matters is faithfulness. Wow. And that faithfulness is me saying, I am going to be a faithful leg in the relay and I'm going to lay down my life and my time and my effort and my money towards the same exact things that Jesus did. Um, because, um, because I am thankful, not because I feel like I'm trying to earn anything, not because of the perception of other people, um, but just out of, out of a heart of gratitude. And, and I think that that's, you know, that's the center of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Like that's so good. I think of just the imagery that a, a relay race is, is that we have this blip on the radar. It's our turn. It's our shot. It's our leg mm-hmm. for a minute. And mm-hmm. we were given a baton and we get to graciously. And that's, I think the posture is open handedness. And mm-hmm. we see it with Jesus is asked, like, what's the greatest of all the commandments? And you're getting at the heart and the crux and the core of it. It's, it is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. And then he just does what only Jesus mm-hmm. can do is he connects it to this second mm-hmm. great commandment, which is loving people mm-hmm. as ourself, loving our neighbor as ourself. And um, I think that for the young leader who's entrepreneurial and maybe they're starting a young adult ministry in their community, maybe they're um, have a side hustle that they want to be their primary thing that you know, five to nine passion that they want to turn mm-hmm. into the nine to five passion or wherever this mm-hmm. hits the listener. I'd be so curious to pick your brain personally on the startup and then the scale, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. whether it is a young adult ministry, there's a startup that maybe it's four people mm-hmm. in a living room or a prayer room. Um, but then there's that scale. We want to reach our generation or we want to reach and impact people with the gospel in our sphere of influence. And maybe it's want to start a product or a service or a, a concept. And, and there's the startup phase and then there's the scaling phase. And so many people have the idea and it just doesn't get implemented or it doesn't get implemented successfully or they're stuck kind of trying to implement that scaling process. What does it look like at Simple Modern of scaling? Because there's growing pains and we might see it on Amazon or we might see it at Target, but it didn't just happen. Mm-hmm. You we know, see the final right? product, Yeah, right? it just, it, there was, there was a, a gap from the concept to implementation. Can you take us to that space for a minute? Sure. So, um, there's so many different directions I could I could take this, but I'll just I'll just kind of jump off and and say a few things, and I'd love you guys to follow up with questions that you have. But generally, I'll just make this as a comment about scaling. I, for whatever reason, I've spent most of the last fifteen years growing organizations that are growing uh, faster than forty percent. We'll say. So uh, for whatever reason, this has been part of God's plan for my life is I'm just going to be a part of scaling things. Uh, I even did like a limited podcast that I'm, I'm doing like a season of it every year called Scaling for Good because I kind of felt like, man, that's that's just kind of thematically what's happened. The, the first thing I would say is that scaling is about taking something 
that has already been proven and just doing more of it, right? So it it starts with the idea that you're able to find something that is really working and then say, how do I lean into that with more resources and more leverage and more scale? But it's really tempting to wanting to get to scale before that first step is really solid. You really do have to start with, um, in fact, uh, when you look at the reasons that that startups die, especially VC-backed startups, scaling prematurely is like one of the top two or three reasons, because you so badly want to be ready to scale, you know, and and to draw a ministry parallel here, honestly, um, you know, for years, I wanted to have way more impact than I was probably ready to have or mature enough to have, you know, <laughs> like I wanted to change the world and I want to make all this impact. And the same can be true about our business. We want our business to be bigger uh, than it is. We want to scale it. Um, but fundamentally, uh, I think when, when I think about scale, I think, do you have product market fit and that can happen? This can be true in ministry. It can be true in business. Product market fit is just that what you are offering is really uniquely meeting the needs of the market. Um, and so, you know, like, like I said, in ministry, there've been times where I found, Hey, you know what? I just don't, I'm investing time in this area or this group of people or in this organization or in this person. And it just does not seem to be creating the traction, but then over here, I put one hour and like things happen. And so and in the, the simple moderns case, it it's, it's as simple as, Hey, when you start selling the product. Um, what are the, what are the reviews? What are the responses? How much organic demand is showing up? How much are people coming to you asking like an example of product market fit early on in the company, we had come up with these collegiate, uh, licensed tumblers that were really nice, really premium. Nobody was really doing it at that that point in time. And I was having uh, a lunch with a guy at a Mexican restaurant and I brought one to give to him and somebody got up from across the restaurant and came over and was like, what is that? You know, pointing to the cup that I had on the table. But so the, the first piece is really knowing that you have product market fit. And that's just be, being honest with yourself. Of, am I am I uniquely addressing a need here? Once you realize that you do, that you are, scaling is the process of saying, how do I how do I grow that? How do I replicate that? Um, in a sustainable way, uh, and, and impact and, you know, scale the impact that I can make. So, uh, actually famously, uh, Paul Graham, who's a, a startup, um, kind of guru has said that the best founders do things that don't scale. And I think that's true, whether you're talking about ministry, or you're talking about business, that you actually start by doing things that don't scale to understand product market fit. And then and then you focus on scaling, which is the process of leading and coaching other people, taking advantage of systems and processes to be able to take that and impact as many people as as you possibly can. So generally, like that's that's what I've done in the business world, but it's not that different than the idea of spiritual multiplication. Spiritual multiplication is the idea of scaling your impact. I disciple two or three people, like as an example, when I disciple someone, I only have one requirement on the front end. The one requirement is that they will do the same for other people at some point in the future. I'm like, I don't need anything from you, but I expect that you will do this. And so I, I build the idea of scaling even into, I'm doing something that doesn't necessarily scale in like a one-on-one -on -one discipleship, 
but I'm doing it in a way where over time it really can scale and many lives can be impacted. It's the same thing when you're leading a business that hopefully you're leading the business in a way you're coaching and empowering other people that as the business grows, it's really going to be able to scale. And it's not just going to mean you're working more hours. It's going to mean that you've empowered people. And as a result, the organization's able to make is able to make more impact. Um, so anyway, I'd, I'd love to answer any specific questions you have about scaling, but for whatever reason, this is where I've been living. Even this year, we're, we're probably growing at 70 or 80%. Um, as a company, one of the reasons why I'm able to still do this podcast and I, you know, I, don't, I don't have my hair on fire is because I've spent the last several years coaching and empowering other leaders within the organization. So there's a lot of, I've, I've scaled the internal ability to manage and lead and grow the company. So that as the company and the, the, the demand for our products continues to grow and scale, we're able to, to serve that and meet that. So my follow-up question to that, Mike, is so so here's where it comes from. One of the big industry leaders in your space is Stanley. And we asked a friend of ours, and she happens to be like Amazon influencer, blogger, et cetera. And I just said, hey, yeah. tell me about Simple Modern. And she goes, um, well, here's what I see on Amazon. She goes, everyone got Stanley's and they leak. And so then the <laughs> reviews is everyone saying, oh, mm -hmm. if you don't want it to leak, get Simple Modern. And I don't know everything, but this is what she said the word is on the street. So my follow-up question is like in your space or scaling do you, with that product market fit, is it a hybrid of all three or how do you know how to spend your time? Is it making the product itself better? Is it listening to the consumer and reviews? Is it creating a better system and strategy with culture in your workplace so that, you know, your, your leadership, because all of those things matter, right? So right. how do you know, like the best return on your time so that, because if you feel like you are, your hair is on fire, how do you know, like prioritize th this versus that or respond to this versus that? Any thoughts? Yeah, I, I would start with business is actually not very complicated you make things for the customer and they compensate you for solving their problems. And so you start with, you exist to serve your customers and to solve their problems. And you do that most effectively when you talk to them and when you listen to what they say and you actually build solutions for that. Um, so like this, like I said, the, the overlap actually between the thought processes that make you successful in it a nonprofit or a ministry context in a for-profit world, like it's amazing how much they overlap because so much of it is an other centric, like I exist to serve you. So I do think it it's, it's really all the things you said, like we've created a culture where there's an extremely high value on feedback. There's an extremely high value on talking to customers on excellence. There's an extremely high value of creating great products that flows out of those values. There's, you know, we're constantly talking to customers. We're constantly iterating. Like we have an, an idea and a definition of excellence where um, just because a product gets good reviews, that doesn't mean it's done. We're constantly saying, how can you make it better? Because excellence isn't about how do we compete with other people? It's how do we compete with ourselves, which is, uh, you know, again, another kind of biblical idea. So it's it's really all of those things. But I mean, product more than anything else determines your ability to scale. When you have something special, uh, naturally, all of the pull, all of the inertia, all of the gravity is going to be towards scaling. 
And when you don't have something special that you're trying to scale, it is very difficult to basically impossible. So like, you know, like the, this analogy is one that I've heard before that I really like that before product market fit, it's like you're trying to push your product out into the market post product market fit. It's like the market's pulling it out of your hands. And that's really what it feels like. Like the, the product that you mentioned, for example, it's, it's literally been like, we would get some in on our website and we would sell through several thousand of them in an hour and then we'd be out for a while and then we'd get some more in. And, you know, it was literally like the market just pulling it out of our hands as soon as they possibly could. Uh, and that's very different than like, okay, we're going to order a bunch and we're going to figure out how to get people to want these and, and get people to buy these. So I'm a huge fan of starting with serving your customers, making something that's inherently special. And, and sometimes for us, for example, like we didn't, you know, invent the idea of insulated drinkware. We didn't invent the idea of a, a, a tumbler, like even in the, the example that you used with Stanley, our product is very similar to theirs. We just made it better and we made it uh, at 75% of the cost. And that combination of a better product at 75% of the cost was enough to have a really explosive product market fit. And, and as a result, it's been a great product for us and has really propelled the brand forward. So the, the biggest misconception that I see, and maybe this will be helpful to people listening. I've taught entrepreneurship for years. I've talked to hundreds of entrepreneurs. The biggest misconception I see is this idea that I have to find something totally unique and bespoke that's never been done before. 99.9% .9 of successful entrepreneurship is taking something that already existed and saying, I'm either going to get to a different group of people, or I'm going to take it to a different geography, or I'm going to tweak the value proposition, or I'm going to make a key improvement. You know, it's, it's a small variation in something that's already proven. Even the things that we tend to look at as innovative, like Netflix was viewed as very innovative with video on demand and streaming when they first came out, they were the first of the streamers. And, and it was in a sense, but in another sense, they were they were just selling movies, which were not particularly new. And, and when movies came out in the early 1900s, those weren't particularly new. It was just a visual form of stories and books. So I would just make the point that very rarely is entrepreneurship that you really reinvent the wheel. You come up with something totally unique. It's usually that you look at the market and you look at things that people... Um, are already buying and problems they're already dealing with, and you come up with a better way to serve people um, and to create a, a better product offering and that the market responds to that. I love That's it. Great. I love it. That's so, so helpful. The other thing Mike, that I see a lot with like, say authors or say business people is with young entrepreneurs, at least that we've seen is they overestimate the market. Mm -hmm. And this is what sure. I see with authors is they self-publish and they buy like a thousand books, a thousand books <laughs> that sit in wow. their garage. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then they've sold like 72 to their family and immediate friends from their small group. And then they've sure. got 920 and change books that are sitting in their garage because they like, they didn't realize that the average book doesn't sell 5,000 copies and, yeah. or, or like, I remember one time interning with the group in college and they bought. I think it was 40,000 bandanas and a thousand t-shirts for their brand. And they stuck like $40,000 of marketing budget for a, a brand that no one had ever heard of from their yeah. like 401ks. And so mm -hmm. I just see that a lot of times 
is that we overestimate the demand of the market. How do you like be honest in evaluating the market demand so that you don't get upside down in inventory or that, because you could also underestimate, but any thoughts on that for the person that just wants to start before they scale? Yeah. So I, I I will, I will share an example from a, from business literature that I think is actually really helpful. Um, it's called the bullets and cannonball principle. So if you think back to, have you heard this before? Okay. No, I'm, so I'm excited. If you, if you go back to like, think 1600s, 1700s, like, you know, big naval ships, um, like think Pirates of the Caribbean, where, you know, they would they would have these ships and the ships had cannons. And usually when there were battles, uh, the, the ships are, are like firing at each other with these huge cannons. Well, um, those cannons require cannonballs and cannonballs are expensive and they're heavy and you can only carry a limited number on your ship. The problem with the cannons is the cannons are notoriously uh, poor aims. So if you saw another ship and said, hey, we're going to start firing them and you start loading up your cannonballs, you could blow through most of your cannonballs without scoring a single hit if you weren't, you weren't aiming at them very well uh, because of the cannons. So what they learned is instead of just once you see an enemy ship starting to load in the cannonballs and shoot them, what you do is you get a gun, you place the gun on top of the cannon, however the cannon's oriented, you fire a bullet, and you see if that bullet hits the other ship. And if it doesn't, you move the cannon, and you keep playing with this, shooting bullets, until you have a bullet that hits the other ship, then you load a cannonball. This principle is so powerful in business. It's you are trying to say, how do I spend the least amount of resources possible to get the information I need um, before I push more chips in? And too often people are like, I need to have a marketing strategy. I've got three ideas. This is the best one. I'm going to push all my chips in on that. But the more effective and, and much less dangerous way to do things is to say, I've got five ideas. I'm going to fire a tiny bullet at each of those five ideas and see what the results are. And, oh, these two kind of worked. Okay, I'm going to put a little bit more resources behind. Oh, this one really seems to work the best. Okay, now I'm going to really lean into that. Or maybe I'm even going to iterate on that idea some more and do some more test bullets before I really lean in. But that that's what effective entrepreneurs really do. And again, we've talked about this in a nonprofit and a for-profit context. It's the exact same idea, right? If you're wow. a nonprofit and you're trying to raise your annual budget and you think, well, we've never done a banquet before, but we're going to do a banquet. We're going to put all our eggs in this basket. Like you better be right right? Like you're going to spend a lot of money on the banquet. And if you're not right and you don't raise the money, like that's going to be a problem. Um, and so you see this type of thinking in all types of organizations, not just businesses, not just startups, where people make these dramatic um, kind of all in moves when the reason why entrepreneurs, why it's a skill set that's replicable is because it's a process that you teach yourself of micro experimentation and learning and then experimenting some more and then learning. And so one of the the interesting things is we're eight years in as a company. We, we have a good amount of revenue. We still, I still experiment daily. I still feel like my strategy changes a little bit every single day because I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly getting more information from the market. And so it, when you see 
an organization again, whether that's a church or that's a business uh, or uh, you know a nonprofit or whatever that seems to have ossified and is not effective anymore. It's because they've lost the ability to experiment. And they just are like, this is the playbook and this is what we do. And we're just going to, and you'll see this in the business world also where people will say, well, this worked for somebody else. So we're going to do this. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to work for you. You have to, it's, it's great to look at other people for inspiration and ideas and then say, I'm going to run experiments and see if maybe that would work for me. So that's, that's the fundamental concept. Start with micro experiments. And then when you see success, you put more resources in the form of time and money uh, and effort towards the things that, that have your, your micro experiments have shown are the most promising. Well, that's so good. We could sit here and talk for hours, Mike, but we want to honor your time. And we've come to the part of the episode where we just get to lean into five and fives. We have five minutes on the clock. Are you up for the five and five challenge? It's kind of like, uh, let's do it. What do you want to call it? The two minute drill, two minute the drill. three point contest. Okay. What do you want to call it? Okay. Question okay. number one. Here we go. What's God been teaching you lately? So uh, I have learned that accountability is helpful, but as you get older in the Christian life, the accountability has to come from within. And the reason for that, it goes back to something we talked about earlier, which is um, the Christian life is so much about the condition of your heart. And it just is difficult for people on the outside to see that, especially if you've been a part of the Christian world for a while and you kind of know how to do the dance steps and you know how to kind of say the right phrases and stuff, that it's very easy to obfuscate one way or another what's going on inside your heart. And so that continuing to mature and grow in your relationship with God it increasingly becomes a, a an exercise in being willing to ask yourself the hard questions and hold yourself accountable. And that, and listen, I'm all for like having other people and and trying to be authentic and vulnerable, but just realizing that um, that responsibility, if anything, only grows as you get older. And uh, yeah, and and I, I think I think the the second part of that is probably leaning in intentionally to authenticity, so that other people can speak into your life. Because if you're not really focusing on authenticity, then it really is impossible for other people to do anything that would be you know helpful or give you insights that might be helpful in your walk with God. That's good. It's phenomenal, and you've become a. a- formerly known as a Twitter friend. Now it's called X, but, um, on that app, that's where our paths cross first, Mike. And you, what my observation is, is you add value Mm. on the daily, on the regular. And for a lot of, I mean, for Mike and I, but also for a lot of the listeners, they just have a desire to be a bright light in a dark Mm. world and to add value to the sphere of influence that God's put beside them like can you talk about your approach or how you think about approaching x twitter social media and um, just adding value to people yeah well we live in a culture where everybody wants to be an influencer and uh even if they haven't put in the work and i mean i think it starts with you cannot impart what you don't possess you can't you should not seek out influence if you haven't developed expertise, knowledge, depth, that's worth sharing. And, you know, I think when I was in my twenties, I wanted lots of influence, but I wasn't really ready to have influence. And I I don't think that I I had necessarily put in the work. 
at this point, part of my influence is I know a lot about a couple of areas. I've invested years and decades of my life into those things. And so that's one of the reasons I'm able to add value is I really do have experience. There's many, many hours behind those. And I'm able to take those hours and kind of distill it down into where people can learn chunks of what I've learned without without the cost. And I think the second part of that is you need to have a perspective. So I have a very clear, like I'm about redemptive entrepreneurship. I, I know a lot about e-commerce. I know a lot about starting companies. I'm going to come at it from a redemptive point of view. Uh, there's going to be a heavy focus on generosity and culture. That's what you're going to get when you come to me. And, and so also, there's some people that don't care about those things and don't want to hear about it. And that's fine. Like they don't need to follow me on social media, you know. So, but the people that do want to hear about those things, one of the things that's interesting is there's this kind of stereotype that Twitter or X or whatever ha- it can be toxic. I just don't really experience that because the me people either. that I experience, yeah, it's like the people that I'm interacting with, they're excited to to talk about and and learn about the things that I'm discussing. Uh, and I've actually been shocked by how much positive feedback I've gotten. And I think that that's, um, you know, we, we talked about scaling earlier. But listen, the the positive of social media is the ability to scale our impact um, is really profound. You know, like I can post something and I can see that 50,000 people have seen it or whatever, but I can't really mentally understand that idea that like potentially a football stadium worth of people could have looked at that and considered that and it could have made an impact in their life. But then when I talk to people in the real world, I realize like that's what's happening, that I actually am impacting the way that a lot of people think and they are reading it and it is helpful. Uh, and so it's it's one of the reasons why I've made it a real discipline to continue to to do it. So my my advice is that you develop expertise in an area first, that you um, you look to really have some deep knowledge in an area that you can impart and that you have a really clear point of view that you can present that with um, so that it's it's clear how you can how people can grow and learn from from following you and that that's the start of being you know a helpful and impactful um, on social media. Love it. Okay, here's the curveball, Mike. If you could ask Josiah and myself one question today, what would you ask us? I would say what, do you think is the key ingredient to reaching this generation of 20 to 30 year olds possible? And like, what have you learned about ministry and how it's like, how old are the two of you? And how old are you, Josiah? I won't 31. ask you. I, 31. Okay. So 31. I'm older. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would love to hear, you know, I would love to have a conversation with, with both of you where I, uh, I understood more about, Hey, over the last 10 years, how have you seen things change? And we've really gotten into this generation that grew up with the internet and they grew up with smartphones. Um, and definitely the way that they see the world and the way that they think is different in a lot of ways than my generation. And so I'm always curious to, to learn, hey, what have you learned in the process about how to effectively communicate Jesus to this generation? I think you already touched on it, Mike. Like we've come a lot of, across, I think say almost 99.9% of people, they want real, authentic friendships, relationships, and encounters with God and people. And we feel like in our ministry, like it's our opportunity to create those spaces where there's always room for more at our table. There's always room for one more. Um, If there's not space, you pull up a chair and you squeeze together like young adults that we've been able to serve the last 10, 15 years together and separately probably don't consider you a true believer in them 
a true pastor to them until they've been in your home and sat around your table or had a Bible study or had you meet with them for a one-on-one in your home. So I think it's breaking down those barriers and those walls. One of our friends said it perfectly. She said, Hey, millennials, we wanted to be like behind the scenes. Like we watched Jersey shore and all those things. Like we wanted to be behind the scenes, reality TV. Yeah. We wanted to be the ones where we could kind of see behind the curtain and like, Oh yeah, whatever. But she's like, this generation, Mm -hmm. like wants you to roll over in the morning and like, they want to smell your morning breath. Like they are up close, personal, real raw, like almost so raw people don't know what to do with them, but it's like, no, we're mm-hmm. going to create space for any and all questions. And I learned this in business. And if you could decrease their fear of whatever that is, Jesus, real relationships, whatever, decrease that fear and increase their curiosity. That's a win. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to decrease mm-hmm. their fear of like, I'm just a person just like you are, but you know what? I'm going to increase through my story, what Jesus has done for me. That's increasing their curiosity and leaving them wanting more. Like that's one of yeah. The things I've learned, I'm like, wow, like how powerful is that? So just say, I don't want to no, take up too much time. I think said in a sentence, Mike, I think that the relational needs and the loneliness that we see in this mm-hmm. generation, when you can minister through the felt need of community, it yeah. unlocks the power of the gospel because we weren't created to live lives in isolation. And yet that's what a good chunk of people are experiencing. And so when you can experience a deeper, different life Mm -hmm. in the power of friendships, in the power of family that you choose, because maybe your family is gone or you never had family Mm -hmm. and you can choose family Mm -hmm. through friendships and relationships, it unlocks something so, so deep and powerful where the gospel can go forward and Mm -hmm. um, tossing it back to you. If you, uh, if we could hand you the mic and you could share one piece of encouragement or advice with the next generation, what would you leave them with today? I think I would just say your life matters and that there, God has a plan for how he's going to use your life and that we shouldn't be fixated on scale. We should be fixated on faithfulness that it's, it's not about you know, how big a company do you build or how many people are in your ministry? It's about, are you walking through living out the the unique story that God has planned for you and using the gifts and talents that he's given you specifically to, to impact the lives of others, to, to grow a business. And that if you're doing that, like that is, that is success and that um, you're going to make the diff- a difference in, in people's lives. And that that's, that's the kind of thing that, that makes life worth living. And so, um, people, people listening to this are probably coming from a bunch of different places. And some are probably in, in places where they're frustrated and not seeing the results that they want to see. Um, maybe others are seeing a lot of success. And, and so I, I really try to emphasize that I, I don't like being held up as an example of, Hey, here's like when everything goes great, you know, this is what we should all aspire to, you know, doing something at this scale, um, because, you know, there was a point where, I, you know, faithfulness for me, it was leading a very small ministry of people. And I, I, I okay, so I'll, I'll put it like this. Uh, I'm an Enneagram three, which means that I tend to want to view my worth and my identity through this lens of achievement. And the fundamental truth of the gospel that is so life-changing is not my resume, but, but Christ's. And that my resume, I don't have to find my identity on my resume anymore that I can find it in his. And that, you know, at all these different stages of my life, 
when I've been having a lot of impact, when I've had very little, that at every stage that Gab was equally pleased with me and he loved me equally and that I was just as important and that what I was doing was just as as strategic to him uh, as at any other time. Um, that is a really powerful thing to to hear that um, your acceptance you know, has nothing to do with how much you accomplish or, or how big it gets. It has to do with how faithful you are and, and your heart condition towards him. And so that's provided a lot of encouragement to me when things, um, when I, I didn't feel like things were going the way that they are, but ironically it's provided a lot of encouragement to me in times like this, when things are going really well, because it's just a reminder that my identity and my value isn't because I'm leading a company that's doing really well. It's because of the person of Jesus. That's an excellent so challenge if you're wrestling and struggling, but encouragement in the same sense of knowing that we get to call in the name of Jesus and apart from him, we can do nothing. So if you're a Christ follower and you are really wrestling with where God has you, oh man, you can do all things through Christ gives you strength. And maybe you're listening today and you're like, I don't really know about this whole Jesus thing. If you want to find more about us or the ministry that we're doing here, please connect with us on youngadults.today. And we'd love to see what God is doing and what God is speaking or answer the questions that you might have. So Mike, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Great. Great to be with you. And thanks for the work you're doing. Of course.